Dear Lord Jesus, we can praise you enough for taking all our sins and condemnations into your body on the cross and giving us the forgiveness of Father and total acceptance as God's children. We also thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us to subdue our flesh with your love and truth. Now speak your gospel to us, Lord, and strengthen our minds so that we can overcome flesh with your powerful grace. In the sweetest and the strongest name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yesterday, we studied the first part of the Romans chapter 8, where we saw how the Holy Spirit empowered us in our minds to seek to please God more than pleasing our flesh. Today, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9 to 13, Apostle Paul continues the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our mind. So let's read our text today. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives a life because of righteousness. And if a Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is a living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give a life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, but to live according to it. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I want to focus on the two interrelated facts and truth about the Holy Spirit and His sanctifying works. They are uh, the identity of the Holy Spirit and influence of the Holy Spirit. That's the two things that we're going to focus on today. Identity of the Holy Spirit and influence of the Holy Spirit. First, let's see the identity of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Look at the verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Here Paul called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, Spirit of God, and Spirit of Christ. That means to know Holy Spirit is to know God and to know Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a triune God. As you learn from Cornerstone Bible study, Holy Spirit makes us fall in love with Jesus and makes the teaching of Jesus personal. Whereas Jesus revealed the heart of God to us through His obedience and suffering, the Holy Spirit reveals to each one of us Jesus, the very heart of God through His patience, 
and long-suffering love within us. As a triune God, Holy Spirit gives us life from the righteousness or covenantal faithfulness of Jesus, according to verse 10. And then verse 11, Paul makes it clear that the Holy Spirit does not just give us any life, but the life of God to us. Precisely by life of God, Paul is talking about the powerful life of a resurrection. Verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because the Spirit dwells who lives in you. Paul tells us, Jesus rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the same Holy Spirit of a resurrection lives in us. He will give us the power of a resurrection from all deadly sins and all hopeless situations. Because the Holy Spirit is a triune God, He's a help for us. It's a powerful and transformative, just like He resurrected Jesus. Truly, we need to seek the fullness of our Holy Spirit every day. We need to pray every morning and in critical moment of day, Father, fill me up with the Holy Spirit so I can obey you as Christ obeyed. So let us remember, we have a, this a great triune God in us. Now let's look at the second fact about the Holy Spirit, that is His influence on our sanctification. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if I'm adding, you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. The Holy Spirit influences us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. The Old King James Version translates this verse 13, this phrase, in this way. If ye thought the Holy Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body, deeds of the body, ye shall live. From this old translation, a serious term for Christian sanctification was born. That is a mortification. Mortification. If you follow the Holy Spirit, He will lead you to mortify or kill the sinful deeds of the flesh. Verse 12 and 13 tells us what mortification is and how we do it. First, it means, mortification means, Ruthless, wholehearted resistance to sinful practice. To mortify or to put to death is a violent and total. It means to reject totally everything that we know to be wrong. It means taking no prisoners. By the way, we take prisoners in all other words except the war against the flesh. When it comes to this spiritual war, we don't take any prisoners. We give them no quarters. We pull out all the stops. This simply means Christian does not play games with the sin. We don't play games with the sin. We don't aim to win gradually ourselves off sin or say that, hey, I can still keep it under control. 
we get away. We get as far away from it as possible. We don't just avoid the things that we know are sin. We even avoid the things that lead to sin. Even things that are doubtful for. Because this is doubtful. Because this is the war. Mortification is a holy war against the flesh and sin. So let me ask you a question. What sin in your life have you killed or removed in your life lately? What sin is the Holy Spirit leading you to crucify in this Lenten season? Now the, the other very important meaning of the mortification that we see here is that mortification, listen to me very carefully, mortification is not a matter of willpower, but it's a, it comes from power over grace. Mortification is all about the power of grace. Look at, the, look at the verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, but to live according to it. Therefore refers to the statement before, in which Paul tells us we have been redeemed by Christ's righteousness and will someday be totally delivered from all evil and pain in the bodily resurrection. That will, come in, uh, that will come on Thursday. Then the Paul turns and says, Therefore, we have an obligation. The word for obligation is a debt. And the, when was the last time you saw this Paul's expression? That was a Romans chapter 1, verse 14, when Paul said, I am obligated or I am a debtor to who? Do you guys remember? Not to God, both to Greeks and to non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul has a new self-identity that is debtor. He is a debtor of God's grace to everyone because he first gospel of Christ before others. Now, Paul is using the same language of utter gratitude and the utmost dedication. If we remember what Christ has done and will do for us, we want to, not just we have to. We, more than anything, we want to dedicate our life to the service of God's good news and His kingdom. Here we find both motivation and principle of a mortification. If we expose ourselves to unfathomable, immeasurable love of Christ for us, our sin will be cut off at its root. Do you know why? Sin grows in the soil of self-pity. Soil of self-pity and the feeling of self-centered, so-called oldness. You know, we feel like, you know, I'm not getting a fair shake. I'm not getting my needs met. I have a hard life or I had a hard day. God owes me. People owes me. My family owes me. I owe me. That is a hard attitude of sin, which is a sense of entitlement. Paul tells us we must remind ourselves that we are debtors. We already receive full and still receiving God's infinite love at the incalculable price of Christ's sacrifice. Therefore, put to death in verse 13 is another expression 
of the mind, the things of a spirit in verse 5. Mortification means meditating on Christ's suffering death to crucify my sin. In another word, my mortification comes from Christ's mortification. Once again, I want us to remember this. The nature of our self-denial, such as a mortification, has to do with our closeness to Christ and His cross. It's not about our willpower or ascetic strength, but our wonder about Christ and His love for me. My every self-denial and death to my self-centeredness must come from Christ's own self-denial and redemptive death for me. That's why Jesus said, If you are my disciple, deny yourself and take a cross and follow me. Mortification takes place when we don't just deny ourselves, but more than that, we follow Christ who died for us first. When we follow Christ, we will also remove sin. We can mortify all the misdeeds of the flesh in our life. Now let us follow Christ in prayers. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells in us and influences us in our sanctification. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing Jesus, the very heart of God to us, and helping us fall in love with him. Now, as you lead us to mortify the misdeeds of the flesh, help us to fight our spiritual war seriously. Now that we know what it costs Jesus to save us, we want to belong to him completely, not just when it's convenient. We want to obey him entirely, not just a few days a week. We want to follow him totally in every area of our life, not just in the religious sections. May the Holy Spirit give us his utmost mercy to mortify every misdeed of our flesh. In the sweetest and the strongest name of Jesus we pray. Amen.